Welcome back to another episode of Two Average Husbands, where we bring you a few drinks, a few topics, and two husbands. I'm your host, Jake. I'm your host, Kyle. Welcome back, everybody. Jake trying something new out there. That's hey, pretty man. good. We're getting close to see, we're getting close to having to start season two. Switch over from the season one banners when we upload it. So, yeah. got to start testing some things out. I suppose that's true. We got to enter the second the second season of this as we enter another. I don't know what is it going to be. We're we're almost to twenty five episodes. Yeah, this we're is twenty one. So this is twenty one. So we'll probably do it in twenty five episode stints. So yeah. we got a few more weeks up until we hit the season two, which will hopefully have a few revamps for you that I'm working on in the back end that Kyle doesn't even know about, so that'll all be fun to see. We'll have to come um, up with some new themes. Yeah. Get some themed episodes. I still want to do segments. Like I said, the NFL one is the one that, for now, but I mean, eventually I'd like to do some other segments as well. Yeah. But, Speaking of the NFL, I'm going to go ahead and start our... Hot nope. pause. What are you drinking this week? Thanks, Jake. Oh, well, I was going to introduce the NFL segment, say something, and then introduce the beer. No, 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 but, no. Fine. Yeah, start drinking. I am drinking uh, a Goose Island beer. It is Tapache. I'm assuming that's how it's pronounced. Sunset, which is a Tapache inspired ale aged in tequila barrels with pineapple juice, orange juice, tamarind puree, um, all added in. And it is aged in tequila barrels, if I didn't mention that. So I had a sample tasting of this a few weeks back, but I don't remember what it tastes like. So I'm going to try it. Fuck it. Shaking that? Yeah. You're supposed to, to like get the puree up. Huh. Yeah. I don't know, it sounds good. I've seen some of the stouts where they're like, you know, give it a good one, two, three turn. But I don't really ever see them say shake violence for a caffeinated uh, carbonated beverage, I mean. Well, let me tell you, it worked perfectly fine. Well, the one that I am going to be drinking this week is the Rogue Hazelnut Brown Nectar. It's always like light makes it really shitty to see what these look like but anyway uh this is a nutty twist to a traditional european style brown ale dark brown in color with a hazelnut aroma and a rich nutty flavor we were talking about it before the podcast i love rogue so i i have high expectations for that beverage it says it pairs well with a grilled cheese sandwich <laughs> that's i'm in i'm full bore in and also pork chops and bread pudding but the grilled cheese is a unique one that you wouldn't see a beer usually paired with. So it's telling you to basically make a grilled cheese, some pork chops, and have bread pudding for dessert all while That's drinking right. that beer? That's right, yeah. I'm definitely in. Yeah. It's fucking exciting. But anyway, speaking of exciting, I do want to introduce our football segment for the week and just talk briefly about something. Um, if anybody didn't see myself post it on Twitter, I have partnered with an organization called JWB Fantasy Football, and I will be an analyst for them during this upcoming fantasy football season, um, where I will be writing weekly articles that have to do with sleeper candidates um, for fantasy football each week. And so, Kyle, I want to kind of get your opinion on that awesome. as we go into the season. Who are some players, you can look at it, this from a fantasy perspective or from a regular football perspective, who are some players that you think people, at least to this point in the preseason, aren't talking about enough and what their impact is going to be this year? I'd say it depends on who you're listening to, honestly, because even, obviously if you, if you pay, t- uh, pay attention leading up to the fantasy football year and even throughout the year, right, like every analyst or every network is talking about their sleepers, which depending on kind of when you catch the conversation – uh, a lot of if, if it's the big name people like you know ESPN with Field Yates, Matthew uh, Matthew Barry, and uh, you look at one of the, my, my favorite podcasts is the Fantasy Footballers. You've got Andy Holloway and the gang there too. 
and because of them partially, but also because of some background too, uh, and you and I have already had this conversation, so I know you completely disagree with this one, but I think as far as a tight end breakout candidate this year, uh, you've got Tyler Higby, who is going to be going somewhere right now around the 10th round in drafts, and he could potentially be a weapon that is significantly more utilized and have a little bit of a breakout this year. Not saying he's going to be Darren Waller or George Kittle uh, or uh, Travis Kelsey, but he is going to be a weapon on the offense that's probably going to get utilized more than he has in the past, especially with the quarterback transition. So I'm excited to see what he does this year, and I think he is a sleeper at the tight end position. And if you're a running back, running back early type of drafter and then you go into the wide receivers, uh, Higby's a good option if you don't want to try to spring and pay the, you know, the, the draft capital for a Kittle or a Kelsey. For sure, yeah. It's not that I don't think... I think Tyler Higby's a really good football player. I just think the problem with him comes from the fact that his skill set is definitely more geared towards his ability as a traditional football tight end. He's a better real football player than he is fantasy asset, if I think that if that makes sense. Um, but if I'm thinking of like a couple of the early fantasy sleepers that kind of come to mind for me, um, one that is in fantasy circles you're hearing a ton about, but in... in Real football circles, you're not, it's not really being talked about. I think Trey Sermon is really going to shock oh, a lot yeah, of people exactly. this year. Um, I was, you know, I'm, I'm the first to admit that I didn't necessarily see the hype with him early on. Um, it took me kind of questioning it on Twitter um, and a lot of people coming to the Sermon's defense and kind of breaking down why they thought he was going to be such a good asset for them. But especially with now, like, it was kind of a joke that Raheem Mostert is a ticking time bomb and you're waiting for him to get hurt. Well, it's guess true. what? It's the preseason and now he's hurt. So we could potentially, and it's a back injury, and as we've seen with back injuries from athletes in football and from other sports, you know, it's a back injury can be, can nag for a really long time. You know, we could see Trey Sermon start the year off as the starting running back and never give that up. And I think that's an underappreciated asset. And a lot of redraft leagues, like I'd have to pull up, let me pull up Fantasy Pros ADP here. I have a Um, feeling he's not going to start. But I do think that he eventually takes... It's going to be similar to a situation with you have Javante Williams. But Javante Williams has a lot more hype behind his name, so you're paying a lot, a much more significant draft capital for Javante. And if you're looking for a bench stash that's not going to be an immediate starter, probably going after Trey Sermon in the later rounds of the draft is an absolutely great strategy, in my opinion. The way I'm looking at it, though, like with me thinking of him being the starter, like there's no real competition for somebody else to take like he's listed as number two on the depth chart right now um whether you believe that or not but if most certain misses time like i think it's a legitimate shot that you know we see sermon start right away and even if he doesn't if he misses time yeah um but even if he doesn't miss time we've seen that they don't give Mostert a ton of carries and that is a run heavy offense especially if they do decide to start the year with jimmy g I think they're going to run a lot more than they're going to pass. And Trey Sermon going as running back 37, going off of the board around, um, uh, well, that doesn't make sense. Um, His overall pick spot is about 91, uh, but there's some guys who are going before him typically in that 90 range. So you're going to get him in the 90 to 100 pick range. So that's going to be a ninth or 10th round pick. And kind of like what Kyle's saying, like if you fade running back a little bit early, like the people who like to do zero running back builds, I think he's a really great option for somebody who is going to surprise a lot of people. And then the other um, sleeper that I have is kind of also a a later round running back that you're going to draft, but it's Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay's only real competition for touches right now, especially with the way the depth chart is currently set up. Melvin, Ingr- or not Melvin, Mark Ingram II is currently the running back listed in front of him 
and we've seen him be entirely ineffective for basically the last year and a half. He looks okay <coughs> in the preseason right now, which he is looks, interesting. He looks okay, but it's not like... But Philip Lindsay doesn't look good either. Like, the Houston Lindsay's, backfield, and the reason that I would argue against this sleeper, right, is I think... I think the Houston backfield is a mess. It is an unpredictable mess, and you don't know where it's going to go. And it could be that these guys are just blowing smoke up your ass, and then they're going to start off, and David Johnson's still going to be the starter. That is in the realm of possibilities. I don't think that's going to happen, given what we've seen in the preseason. But I wouldn't want any of these guys right now. But here's my argument with Lindsey, is that he costs you almost nothing to draft. He's going as running back 49 at 150th overall. We're talking like a 15th round pick when we're throwing darts at a board anyway. And he's the only guy in that range that's giving you legitimate starter upside. Like, Yeah, I don't disagree with you completely, but I think it depends on the depth of the league too. Like, are we talking like a 10-team league? Because you shouldn't have Philip Lindsay on your fucking bench even in a 10-team league. Like, yeah, you should. So I mean, by better. that number, you should. If you, if, But if you're having... If, think about it. If he's going 150th overall in a 10-team league... If you have 18 rounds, which is pretty standard, that's 180 picks. Like you're, there's people that are most people in 10 team leagues. You're going to be rostering Philip Lindsay. Maybe at least somebody's going to roster league right now, unless somebody picked him up off the waivers already. And the only reason he's not is because I got a lot of depth that I don't need him. But that's what I'm saying. Like most people in our league do. And honestly, and this is a, I'll let you finish, and then I'll transition to what I was going to say too, because. I just did a move in our fantasy league as well that I think is a relevant move to make, and I would favor the move over going to Philip Lindsay. So I'll let you speak the rest of your piece, and then I'll I'll say my part on that too. So my la- my part on that to kind of wrap that up is while he's looked fine in the preseason, I will admit he hasn't looked terrible. We're talking about a running back that really wasn't productive. His productions kind of always come from he needs volume to produce. He's not a guy who's going to, you know, be able to break off these crazy long runs or anything like that. Like his his longest run in the past three years is 53 yards. Like he's not an explosive player by any means, um, and he's a, he's relied a lot on touchdowns to kind of keep any relevant fantasy volume the past few years. And he didn't even look good last year with a Baltimore offensive line that was one of the best in football. And, yeah, and, and Philip Lindsay, he brings a much more versatile skill set. He's a much better pass catcher than Ingram is. He's a much faster running back. He's more explosive. I just think if you're going to have to, like if you're looking at a sleeper, we're talking, we're talking about guys that a lot of people aren't thinking of rostering. And a lot of people yeah. probably aren't thinking of rostering somebody in this backfield. And for them to come out and put David Johnson as third in the depth chart, I think that says a lot more about how this team feels about Philip Lindsay than it says feel, than how they feel about any other asset that they have. That's probably a fair take. I just, you're right. He's a sleeper candidate. I will agree with you. I just, I, I don't understand. I'm not telling you to do like, it either. Because the interesting thing too is that David Johnson had a pretty good season. Mm-hmm. Like for as much shit as people want to give David Johnson, David Johnson is a good pass catching back. He is a good running back, and he has the qualities and the. He's not so old that he's not going to be effective at least another season. So I'm surprised they're trying to. I don't know. He's pretty old so far. He for is a running back. Well, I think what is he? Twenty nine. Twenty nine. Yeah, gonna be so, gonna be uh, thirty this season. And I get that, but I feel like if we if he would have played poorly last season, I would have more concern about Houston using him as the lead back. <coughs> but he didn't. And but that also does go part of the fact of, of why I say avoid the backfield in general though is that they're already saying David Johnson's going to be a third down back right Philip Lindsay might have it between the twenties who fucking knows where uh, Ingram fits in and so I just 
I don't know. I get what you're saying, and I'm with you. I actually almost dropped. I had drafted David Johnson because I was pretty settled on the fact that he was going to be the starter. Me too. I had. I am in a few leagues. And so I dropped David Johnson and I picked up Sony Michelle. And I think Sony Michelle is a better sleeper than than Philip Lindsay. And I, I believe that because I think partially I think the Houston Texans are going to be fucking terrible. Agree. And so in a shared a split backfield potentially between three running backs, I think going for now Sony Michelle moving over to the Patriots. Right? You have. Uh, you mean the Rams? Sorry, yeah, moving from the Patriots to the Rams. You have the already injured Cam Akers. You have Daryl uh, Henderson, who's struggling with some injuries already. This one's just a thumb, but who knows? Like, there is a potential that Sony Michelle ends up leading that backfield in touches. There, and, yeah. And so I think from a sleeping perspective, like, I, I would rather just throw Sony Michelle on my bench and see than rely on any of the, back, uh, the running backs in Houston. And if I'm wrong... I'll drop Sonny Michelle and try to pick up one of those running backs yeah. as the season goes on. Who knows? But I'm just not that interested in the Houston backfield at all. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. I can't really blame you. But, yeah, that was that was just kind of what I wanted to see just because that's a lot of what I'm going to be writing about. Um, we're going to combine our rankings as, you know, the, the JWB team as a whole. Um, and then I'm going to be writing about people outside of a certain tier um, week to week. So definitely make sure you check that out. Um, uh, all of their information can be found on my Twitter, so you can just follow us, follow all the guys that are part of JWB. But it'll be fun to finally write about some fantasy football. I've never done written content, so that'll be interesting to see. But see what Jake's spelling and grammar is like. <laughs> it's very good. I have a master's degree, and all I did to do to get it was write papers. So I can <laughs> write. Just keep seeing you. Shut up. <laughs> Anyways, all right. All right now I'm going to touch on a couple other things really quick before we bounce out of the NFL yeah. realm, because I think there's a few topics. First of all, I want to throw out some other sleeper candidates. Uh, because we talked in depth about that one and we kind of missed out on some of these other ones. But I think Jamal Williams is a valid sleeper candidate given the DeAndre Swift injuries. Uh, just keep him on your radar. You never know. He could be the starting back. Uh, Tyler Boyd has been slept on this season. Yes. Because of Higgins and uh, – why the fuck am I blanking on the other Jamar one? Chase. Jamar Chase, thank you. Higgins well, and Chase have way overshadowed. And he Jamar Chase doesn't look good in the preseason. The connection's not really there with Burrow. And people are just kind of – letting Boyd fall way into the late rounds. And it's completely possible that Boyd is just going to have a an amazing season still. So don't sleep on Tyler Boyd. DPJ, Diamond Peoples-Jones. I know everybody, like, is there's not very many believers out there, but there is an injury-prone offense in Cleveland. So I probably wouldn't do it in a redraft league. But I would say you should absolutely have him benched in a dynasty league. Oh, definitely. Just He's... in case you, the injuries happen. He was an early declare too, if I remember right. I think he played all of last season at age 21. Yeah. So, you know, he's a young guy. But I, I, I definitely agree a lot with what you're saying. Um, I think the Jamar Chase being bad in the pro- preseason stuff is definitely not – I don't want to say it's not a concern, but it's not a very big concern to me. You know, the man hasn't played a snap of real football in two years. Like, inevitably, he's going to have some, like – True. Some yeah, hesitation absolutely. about uh, yeah. about contact, and supposedly the last few practices he's looked a lot better. But there is the drama um, that some people saw, some people didn't about Twitter. I'm not going to go too deep into it, but there were some accusations that were thrown around uh, about him. Nothing seeming to come from it, so who knows? Um, but that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, I definitely agree with you um, that there are some really deep. This that Cleveland team is so deep in terms of talent is the only real concern that I have. But you know, we're talking about a guy who's drafted in the sixth round. That He's on a three-year contract, if I'm not mistaken, two or three, um, which means that even if if he shows something this year, there's going to be a team that's going to give him a chance in two years when he's 24 and he's well, the it, age of some guys who came out in this current draft. 
that's the thing, right, is he has been showing out in the preseason, which is why I bring him up again, too, because uh, Jarvis Landry and OBJ haven't really been playing in the preseason at all. And so he has had the opportunity to put on a little bit of a show, and he's looked pretty good. So I think he's a stash in your dynasty leagues. Definitely. Yeah. You know who else is getting slept on final two? Corey Davis, Will Fuller. Slept the fuck on, falling way to the late rounds. Will Fuller's yeah. only suspended one game. Jalen Waddle's already showing injury problems. Will Fuller, I uh, am fully confident that he's going to be a, a weapon in this offense. Corey Davis is. I made. I've kind of planted my flag on this on Twitter, but Corey Davis is going to be a league winner for a lot of people this year. Yeah. He is going so late in drafts, and the connection seems to be very real between him and Zach Wilson yep. this year. He's Zach going. Wilson looks better than you thought. I know it. I you can here's say the, it. you can admit it. Here's the thing. I never thought Zach Wilson was bad. I still don't think Zach Wilson's bad. These, this was the best quarterback class in recent memory for me. Yeah. Besides that, obviously that 2018 draft class when you have Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes coming out, like it's going to be hard to beat those two. But I never thought he was going to be bad. I was just, I needed to have a hot take in the quarterback pool, and that was the one I decided to make. So let it be what it is. Um, but yeah, no, uh, let me I'm trying to find him here. Uh, Corey Davis is going wide receiver 47. He's got legitimate wide receiver, like high wide receiver two upside. He's, he's going he, to be the wide receiver one on the offense, and yeah. it'll make him a wide receiver two for fantasy for sure. Yeah. At least. De- definitely. That's probably the floor. Yeah. I he's I, I legitimately think, especially if the defense struggles at all, they're going to be a pass-heavy team. And there, like, there's a reason that Corey Davis has, like, I forget what the number was, but it's like 77% of Zach Wilson's targets have gone to it, Corey Davis. It's like 77 or 88. It's some crazy I think it number. it was 8 out of 13 routes he was targeted or something yeah. like that. It, it's, it's a lot. It's a crazy percentage where like, if they're on the field together, there's going to be magic that happens there, and I, it's really exciting to see. But that's where I've kind of planted my flag is with Corey Davis as a league winner. All right, parting out of the NFL topics, I will like partially say to you, uh, there was a lot of people sleeping on Aaron Jones. I would never call him a sleeper. But now that Aaron Rodgers is solidified on the offense, stop trying to sleep on Aaron Jones. He's going to be amazing. Yeah, he's and, just going to blink and outperform his ADP again. And in case anybody hasn't been paying attention since we only do episodes weekly, uh, Teddy Bridgewater is the starting quarterback for Denver, which I don't think it surprised me given if, if Drew Locke would have looked a little better in this last preseason game, I would have been shocked to hear this news, but he didn't look great, and Teddy did. So I'm not surprised. I'm excited for Jerry Judy and some of the other weapons on the offense. I think it's going to be good for them. It'll be interesting to watch that in fantasy this year. And then Robbie Anderson catching the bag, getting like $25 million on a two-year $29 million on a two-year extension. So excited for him as well. But like Jake said on Twitter, I think the other day, um, it probably, at least for the next year or two, hurts DJ Moore a little bit. But uh, we'll see. I, I don't, that, and we'll, we'll have, We do really need to see how Sam Darnold's going to be able to support weapons in this offense too, especially with hopefully a – healthy Christian McCaffrey for the year so yeah it's all gonna come it's all gonna come down to Darnold in that offense you know the wide receiver that's probably one of the most talented wide receiver like depth charts in football um I said one of there's there's a lot of teams that have an argument there you're talking you're Dallas Dallas, Tampa Bay Pittsburgh I think a lot of people probably sleep on the Denver uh, wide receiver core as well it's a lot deeper than people realize um, a lot of talent there so You know, there's a lot of really good teams. This is going to be a fun season, man. I'm excited. I'm so excited. So excited. Somebody Couple texted more me today weeks. and they were like, you want to join a fantasy league? And I was like, ooh, I just dropped out of one, so maybe. And then he filled the spot by the time I could get to my phone. But Damn. I almost did it. 
Almost. I'm ready for fantasy. I'm excited. Same. So close. I have Same. my final draft next week, and I'm super excited. I've got like three. I've got a draft on Monday um, with uh, shout out Ryan, um, his uh, his fantasy league. Uh, we got that draft on Monday, and then with the JWB guys, we're hosting a a league as well, um, which is drafting in a couple. I think this on the seventh uh, September seventh. I think we're drafting so. Got a lot of. I've still got like four more drafts coming up. I'm in like two currently going on. Maybe one more. I can't quit, man. I can't stop taking on leagues. I, uh, I'm gonna change my what I was gonna do for my first topic based on this conversation because it just made me excited to talk about this some more. So uh, I said I was gonna get away from the NFL and I'm not. So my first topic today, I'm gonna go ahead and introduce it. Then is uh, given this is truly redraft draft season, right? So like a lot yeah. of dynasty drafts have already happened or happened closer to the, after the <clears throat> NFL draft, but the true big redraft season is kind of like the two weeks leading up to the start of the season. Yeah. So probably a lot of people drafting this week and definitely a lot of people drafting next week. So given that, what is your ideal draft position? Where do you want to draft specifically for the 2021 season? Where would be the best place for you to be drafting? I, I mean, and I think where the hardest place would be too. I think the easy answer is as cliche as it is, the one one is probably the preferred draft spot for a lot of people. I personally, I, my favorite spot to draft is the third spot because you still get the benefit of being there on the turns, whereas you're not waiting quite as long as you are on the outside, and you're still guaranteeing yourself a top three running back, which I think as we've seen over the last few years, like the top three running backs aren't typically too separated. Um, I, and then a reason I like third too is I've personally found that when I'm drafting from that spot, it's easier at least it seems easier to avoid a lot of the um, like the tear breaks that you run into. Um, and to kind of go off of that, the spot that I hate picking from the most is like the nine spot. If we're talking like a 12 team league, the nine spot is the fucking worst. Cause I feel like the few times that I have drafted from there, I'm running into tear break after tear break where I'm reaching for somebody to a point that I'm not happy with it, or I just end up hating everybody that's available to me after like the fifth round. Like, yeah, I, I think it's interesting that you said that because I'm going to go with my hardest first, since you talked about it as your favorite, I think the number three spots for this season is one of the hardest places to draft from because the top, the, the top two running backs are pretty set in stone. You have CMC and you have Dalvin cook. And then you get to the third spot, and I think that's actually where it gets more difficult. This is why I think, because it's a your first pick of your draft is potentially a make or break position for you. Like for yeah. me, in past, past, you know, just with a little bit of recency bias here, I had Kamara during his injury riddle season a couple years ago, and then I had Saquon when he was out for the entire season, and it fucked my team for the whole year. I was trying to make trades, trying to bring come back, and I just I could never successfully recover from those major running back injuries. <laughs> And so it makes it really tough. And, the, and so at the third position now, you have Derrick Henry, you have Alvin Kamara, and you have maybe like a Saquon or something like that too. But really, like for me, it's probably between Alvin Kamara and, uh, and Derrick Henry of what you're going to take at the three position. And it is, it's a make or break for you. And so I think that is a very hard decision to make. Alvin those. Kamara. I'm There's your you. answer. That's how I feel too. But I think you are running a risk injury uh, with Alvin Kamara more so potentially than Derrick Henry, but the bigger concern for me is the change in quarterback. And I think I think you are taking a major step down from the Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston as opposed to Drew Brees. I mean, and clearly. Per- but but then you also have 
the problem where Drew Brees just loved to throw and target to Alvin Kamara. I think most people will realize, especially with the lack of weapons on the offense, that Alvin Kamara is the number one target for this offense, especially since Michael Thomas is out. But that actually makes it more difficult because now you're going to have probably some pretty significant coverage on Michael or on uh, Alvin Kamara. Where I'm going to come back to that and say that I don't think that's an issue is we saw Kamara perform just fine last year without Michael Thomas. But also, while, yes, Drew Brees lacked a lot of the arm strength that other quarterbacks did and reads defenses better than most and knows when to check down, I think people are underestimating the amount of plays that looked like checkdowns that were designed to go to Kamara. Like, the offense truly runs through him, and he's such a weapon for that offense that I him being the number two, that's fine because you can throw him in the slot if you want him to, and he could play the Michael Thomas role. Like, there's no reason. Like, if you decided, if you said, Alvin Kamara, you're going to play wide receiver for the first eight weeks of the season until Michael Thomas is back, he's going to put up the exact same numbers that he is right now. Nothing is going to change from his performance. And, and the reason I say he's the guy for me is Derrick Henry – if I'm going to draft him in the third spot, as we saw last year, I am drafting him at his ceiling. We're talking, especially mostly because we both play almost exclusively PPR formats. Yeah. We're talking about a guy who ran for 2,000 yards and scored 17 touchdowns and still only finished as the PPR running back three. Like you were drafting him at a yeah. ceiling at that point, whereas you That's know true. the ceiling with Alvin it's Kamara. Like yeah. yeah, you know the ceiling with Alvin Kamara is running back one. He was the running back one last year. He was the running back one, uh, what was that, 20. Was it twenty? It would have been the year before last. So twenty nineteen, or was twenty nineteen the injury year? Twenty nineteen was the injury year. Um, where he's yeah. yeah, where Kamara he's I mean he still finishes running back nine. Like we're talking about a guy like the worst season that we've seen him play. He was still the running back nine, and if that's my pick in the third overall spot, I'm not I'm not mad about that. No. Like if I if I have one of the top nine scoring players in the league in the third spot, like I'm not gonna get mad where where it hurts you is if you have a guy like McCaffrey who missed most of the year if you have a guy like Saquon who missed most of the year like those are the guys that hurt you if like even if Kamara has a down game like a down game for Kamara is 15 points a week like that's yeah that's that's relatively true I would say that one year that I had him it was worse than that because he was trying to play through the injury which was the problem so he didn't have great weeks but that being but even then I mean in in 2019 he he had um, where where do you go? He's seventeen point eight points per game still. Like on paper, he's still that's winning you matchups. Even if you took him in the third spot, like <clears throat> I don't know. I just feel like Kamara is the clear choice there for me. But that's also why like I don't I like picking from the third spot though. Like if you look past that point in the draft, like sure you have some decisions to make there. But for me, if I get a top three running back, I'm good. And then. There's going to be a running back that falls. There's somebody that's going to go under that I'm going to get pat like over their ADP. Um, so somebody's going to fall to me at the second pick there. Like I did, a, I just did a dynasty startup, a 14 team dynasty startup where I was picking from the four spot. So pretty similar to picking from the three spot in my opinion, where I traded out of the first and I was still able to grab Najee and Antonio Gibson with back to back picks in the late second. Like there's going to be guys that are going to be league winners there that are going to fall to you, but you also have the choice then if you go if you want to do a zero running back build or like a hero running back build where you go running back and then you grab you know wide receiver wide receiver, you're still getting guys in the tier of you know, that's going to be your range of, you know, you're looking at Metcalf, you're looking at Allen Robinson, you're looking at A.J. Brown. Like, there's going to be wide receivers that fall to you in that point, whereas I think, like, if I'm at the turn, if you're at, like, the nine, like the 10, 11, 12 turn, you have to hit on those first two picks or you're fucked. 
It's you can't you can't have the if you have the injury in the third spot, you can survive it. If you have the injury picking nine ten, you're not you're not coming back from that. Yeah, that's probably true. Which is why I will say I think based on a couple leagues and I've done way more mock drafts this year than I've ever done before in my life. And I think the four position is easier to draft from just because it makes that decision for me that much easier. If yeah, you just like take tomorrow, whoever falls. I take, uh, John, Jonathan Taylor. I, you take I'm Jonathan, not, I'm not Jonathan Taylor. I'm with you that I think he's going to be great. I'm not so convinced that he's going to beat out some of these other guys yet. But that That's being fair. said, uh, at the I still four take position, Jonathan it Taylor. just makes my decision much easier. And um, I think that... <clears throat> To be completely honest, probably like the four through seven are of the top RBs right now and the top ten running backs, right? I think that is a pretty convoluted pool where any way you go, you're probably going to be fine barring injury. It's just going to be really hard for you to pick who's going to be the, the outstanding running back in that uh, you know that specific set of people. But I think my favorite place to draft from right now, be it uh, mock drafts or a couple of the real drafts that I've had, is the number eight position. And I think... It's because what I've seen, and I've seen a lot of success for me still doing running back to running back drafting. Mm -hmm. So two running back draft and getting two top ten running backs because you have the the handful of people that are taking your tight ends or your wide receiver ones in that first, second round. So end of the first, beginning of the second. And so I've still had luck like in our ESPN redraft. I was, I was stoked that my stack of running backs in the eight position is – Ezekiel Elliott and Nick Chubb. Yeah, I mean, like, that... I was pumped about that, and so I will say there's a little bit of bias in that because it's a keeper league, and I already knew I had Justin Jefferson sitting on my roster, and so I could be a little bit more risky in the first couple rounds, knowing that I had a good solid wide receiver one. But still, like you were saying, for I have a similar mindset with you, as in I want to be not at the turn but close to the turn, so that I can get. I can plan my picks a little better, knowing that my mm-hmm. picks are going to be not so far apart. But at the same time, I'd I'd almost rather have it at the back half than the front. So I'd we'll rather see. be at the front. I, I Part of know. the reason I bring this up is because in my final draft next week, I'm picking at the three spot, and I know it's going to be a tough one for me because I've mocked draft out a few different strategies at the three position now, and I haven't been necessarily as happy with the team breakout that I get as I was when I drafted at the 7-8 position. Which is weird because you'd think drafting later could potentially put you at a disadvantage, like you said. Like the obvious choice for most people is, I want the one hundred and one, but I don't really like drafting at the one hundred and one, uh, and I don't really like to be in the middle because I like to be closer to the turn. So whether it be the three four position or the seven eight position, I don't know. But so far, I've been happier with my mock drafts when I have a player or when I build a team off the seven eight position than I have been for the three four. That being said, my decision gets a little harder too at the three position if I'm drafting there in mock drafts and like, uh, like your Waller falls to me in the third round. Like if I go running back, running back, and then Waller falls to me uh, at the end of the third. Sorry, the beginning of the third, I start thinking about do I want to go with the one of the top three tight ends now instead of going with a top wide receiver, and I haven't really liked the way that that's mock drafted out for me yet either. So I, I don't know. For me, I am confident in some of the, the breakout opportunities for later round tight ends that I'm probably always going to go receiver there as opposed to a tight end. But it gets harder to make those decisions when those players are available for you in those rounds. Like I start seeing, you know, the Kyler Murray, do I go early quarterback with one of the top, potentially top three quarterbacks 
do I go with one of the top three tight ends? Do I do that, or do I try to knock out my receivers? And I don't know. I'd say based on the way that I've been mock drafting, I'm probably going to stick to a more traditional draft strategy where I do running back, running back, and then at least get a wide receiver one before I move on to something else. But it is tougher to make those decisions because at the beginning of the third, almost all those dudes are available. Yeah. So your draft strategy has to change. Hey, man, you, you already know. Just pop into Discord with me. I'll help you out. I got you. I love the three spot. We'll build a banger of a team. You send me five bucks when you win. It's all good. Um, I just did a mock draft recently. I have to see which one it was. I can probably pull it up on Sleeper at the three position. And it's not that I hated my team, but I just wasn't as happy with it as I have been in some of the later rounds. And this time, too, it was weird because and I'm, I just pulled it up right now. And at the beginning of the third, so I had Kamara and Mixon already, which I was super happy with. And then I hate Joe Mixon. I like Mixon. But nah. at the beginning of the third, like Dobbins was still on the board, Swift was still on the board, like some of these other like starting running backs were on the board, and I was like, holy shit, am I in a position where I have to go three running backs? And I was like, you know what, I will never do this in real life, so I want to see how it mock drafts out in uh, just at a three position mock draft, like fuck it. And so I took Kamara, Mixon, and Dobbins back to back to back. And uh, truly, I wanted, me, baby. I wanted Gibson there instead of Mixon, but he went two spots before me, but. I ended up with an okay roster. I just, it, I still just wasn't stoked about it, and so I had a hard time convincing myself that that's a, a strategy I'd want. And then I've, I've done a couple other, like I said, at the three position that I just haven't loved either. But I am a huge advocate for robust RB, so I loved going running back, running back, running back, and not giving a flying fuck about it afterwards. Um, but I, I do get the arguments against it. I do get the arguments for some of the other drafts there. But for me. Um, you know, my, my kind of preferred draft strategy, especially when I pick in one of the early spots, is wide receiver so deep. It's such a deep position. When you look at the difference between the top running backs versus the top wide receivers, the top running backs give you a, staunchly a more of an advantage. So if I can, can if, especially in a situation like that where there's a legitimate top, call it 16 running back on the board in my third round pick, I'm going to take them nine times out of ten because I know the advantage that that gives me. It gives me a huge trade advantage later on when one of the zero RB guys realizes that JD McKissick isn't good without Alex Smith, and he's begging somebody for a running back, and I can flip him a J.K. Dobbins for a Calvin Ridley-type wide receiver. Like, I'm just going to smash that all day all day, and then some, and it's just it's going to be what it is, and I'm going to win the league, and I'm going to call it a day. Yeah, I'm with you for the most part. I just, I don't know, I just... My decisions are tougher, so I was curious what your opinion was. Like I said, I sent you the screenshot the other day too of one of my other drafts that I did with the three position, which was completely unfeasible, where Christian McCaffrey fell to the three position and I took McCaffrey, and then I got Gibson as well at the number two position. Yeah, that was and a I got joke. Kittle, that was a joke got, of a draft. It was insane. I was like, you can't even give me this as a mock draft sleeper. You're just like building my hopes up too much. Here's what here's opinion. what we'll do, just to give you like a realistic perspective. You and I, I'll get you in a mock draft with some of the more like the industry people that I'm friends with. And we'll see more realistically how a draft will go. We'll get you, I'll make sure you get the four spot or the three spot, and we'll see. Part of the interesting thing too is like my work buddies. A lot of them like don't play fantasy or haven't played fantasy in years or whatever. Like they've been on a break. So I think it's going to be an unpredictable. Like it's yeah. not going to be a bunch of dudes that play all the time. It's going to be. Here's my argument to that: a is lot of ADP. I think a lot of them are going to look to people that do play a lot. You 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 underestimate the amount of casuals that are part of fantasy Twitter and are part of fantasy YouTube and, and all of yeah. the, like, 
there's so many people who take a lot of what people like there's going to be people when I write these articles that are going to take my word as like gospel. And while I have had a lot of success in fantasy and Kyle, and you know, I've had a lot of success in fantasy. Like we've talked about this a lot. Not everything I say is going to be right. No matter how hard I try, I can't predict what happens on game day. I can use analytics and I can use everything I have to the best of my abilities, but ultimately I'm not going to be right, but people are going to treat it's the same problem for anybody, right? Like you listen to any of like even the ESPN analysts, right? Like people oh, yeah. that have been doing this forever and they get paid a lot of money to do this. They're wrong sometimes. And I think the interesting thing is uh, ADP might not be the best measure of success, but more often than not, the fantasy community does a pretty good job of just the ADP. So like people that are unfamiliar with fantasy football, even if you stick to ADP, you're probably going to end up with an okay team yeah. barring injury. But it's uh it's really it's not an easy thing to do to predict what's going to happen because you can't especially when like coaching staffs are changing rookies are coming in that might break out quarterbacks are changing it's not possible for you to be able to predict what's going to happen so it is it's you can't just take anybody's shit as gospel but it is you have to look out there for some sort of information because if you just go in blind then maybe you're fine but probably you're not especially if you're gonna avoid adp and like think you're gonna have your own draft strategy and you don't know what you're fucking talking about you're going to end up drafting Travis Etienne in the third round when he's potentially out for the whole season. So, Hey, man. One of my coworkers was talking to me about that. They have like a $500 league that they play in, and he and somebody went, somebody drafted Cam Akers, Michael Thomas, and Etienne. Oh. Oh, your money's just in the toilet. Yeah, you're hurts. just burning. You are burning cash. And that was a guy who just pr- printed out the top 300 and just took it as gospel. Like, crazy but that is crazy anyways that was a great topic i do appreciate that topic you know i love talking about fantasy football make sure we will start excited about it we kyle and i have a have a different podcast coming up soon that kyle keeps saying he's not going to be a part of but he has no choice i'm forcing him to do it so we have a, a football podcast that we'll be starting to record shortly here um he doesn't have to be part of every episode but he will be an integral part of the episodes i love talking about football but my problem is is like Right, like not that I think that people come to us as a looking for necessarily like football advice, but I think that if I'm going to be trying to put my opinion out there, that I should be educated enough to make those opinions count and not just saying things. And a lot of what I say is truly opinion based, based on what I see week to week. And I don't, I have not, I don't come from a sports background. I didn't even start playing fantasy until about four years ago, and most of that was like, "Hey, dude, you want to play fantasy?" And I was like, "Yeah, fuck it, sure, why not?" Like, I need something to do. And so I didn't get passionate about it until really the last two years. And so it's, I don't know that I am the right person to be on a fantasy football podcast. But, but, but here's why you are, is this podcast is going to give people a perspective from so many different fields. I didn't play football to the level that a lot of our guys have. There are going to be three guys on the podcast who have played college football. They have played football at a very high level. I have played fantasy football at a very high level and they're even in of those guys that have played football to a really high level they haven't played fantasy football to a really high level that's true. and you have played fantasy to a level that's higher than a lot of them even though you're not you know haven't dove super deep into it yet it's going to be it's going to be so nice to offer so many different perspectives about what's going on in football yeah. because more people in the fantasy football world are like you than are like me or like the other guys that are going to be on the podcast. Like there more people are at that level of interest in fantasy, but a, a lack of 
deep understanding of the game of football. And yeah, I think that's, that's I think that's what's going to make so many perspectives fun is it's going to I'm going to learn a lot about the game of football from talking to guys who have played football and they're going to learn a lot about fantasy from me and you are going to be able to kind of soak all of that up and I think it's going to help you kind of like evolve a little bit as a football fan and as a fantasy football fan. Fantasy football for those that are like your casual football watchers too is a <laughs> a long deep rabbit hole into yes. getting more and more invested into football too because and jake and i have this conversation plenty of times but i used to watch dallas cowboys games only and that was it and that's all i needed and i really wasn't that invested i enjoyed it but it wasn't anything particularly important to me and now i'm watching you know six eight games a week yeah. plus the highlights of any of the other games that have happened and i've got it on an ipad and an iphone and my tv and my laptop and i'm watching tons and tons of football um and it it really does wrap you in even if you're not like a huge football fan it's just it's a it's a good opportunity to get together with friends and just have a good time which is why i convinced all my guys at, my buddies at work to join a league amongst each other too just so we could have some fun together and kind of de-stress from some work stuff as well just have some fun but that's all i got on that topic it's, yeah man uh, draft strategies are wild man people no running back strategies blow my mind i tell me about it anyways um, so we're going to move on to my topic here. Kyle, I saw that you finished your beer. Do you want to go ahead and give us I a rating on I that? Do. Uh, yes, it was. It smelled like it was going to be delicious, and I was really excited about it. And then it tasted above average, but nothing crazy, too. So I'll give it a 7-1. Pretty good beer, nothing crazy, but I would drink it again. We like it. We like it. I'm going to go ahead and rate mine as well. I haven't finished it yet, but if you think Summer Shandy is not a good beer... This is the, the beer that would convince you that you can have a beer like Summer Shandy that is very, very good. Hmm. This is like, it's not overly sweet, but you can tell the fruits in there. It's a, it's a very, very good beer. I'm going to give this a 7.9. Might be the highest rated non-stout I have on my, on my list so far. That's good. I don't like Summer Shandy. I think Summer Shandy is the one-hit wonder of the beer world. It had its one summer where everybody loved it. And then I don't even, like, see it around that much anymore. Um, maybe that's just a local area thing for me, but I think there's probably your fanatics that are still out there that love fucking Summer Shandy, but I just I don't find it to be in a beer that I would go to ever. And I think I've had it maybe once or twice in the last couple of years, and I wouldn't pick it up by choice ever. Makes sense. This, this tastes like Summer Shandy can taste kind of fake, Whereas, yes. like, this tastes real. Like, if you have, like, real lemonade versus, like, the powdered Minute Maid yes. lemonade, like, you can tell the difference. You can – this is a drink more so than it's a it's a beer. It's, like, a beer-based cocktail. It's a very, like, essentially. color. Yeah, it's very – you can kind of see it for our YouTube watchers. It's a very thick-looking beer, and there's there's fruit puree in it, so it's going to be thick, and it's, it's very, very good. Hmm. I like Lining Google. I just don't like Summer Shandy, but yeah. – Hey, you win some, you lose some. Sorry, Lining Kugels. You do indeed. I am going to crack a second beer. We love to see it. My second what? beer is going to be the Borderlands Noche Dulce. It is a Moonlight Vanilla Porter with Mexican Vanilla. Ooh. I'm excited about it. Here's the can for all you folk out there. Interesting. Very basic looking is local in Arizona, so... As are most of the things that you get on the solo shelf at Total Wine. Yep. We love to see it. Anyways, we will move on to my first topic here. And we, our first two topics took a little bit of time up, so I'm not going to 
take too much time with this second topic, but I want to kind of know, Kyle, what in your mind is the perfectly built cheeseburger? This was a topic that was submitted or a question that was submitted by um, our friend at It's Just Fantasy on Twitter. Um, Tony sent me this in a DM and said we should talk about it. So I don't, I'm not talking about the type of meat that you're, you're using or anything like that, but from the bun and the toppings that you put on the burger, what, how would you dress the perfect burger for you? That's a great question. And I will tell you that if I was going to make it at home, I follow the Gordon Ramsay tutorial for Gordon Ramsay burgers every single time that I make burgers because it is fantastic. But I'm going to uh, draw out here for myself and make sure that I have the correct toppings and everything to make the perfect burger because I think that this is a – I'm a burger guy. Somebody recently called me that at work. He said, you're a burger guy, I guess, huh? And I said, yes, I am. Yeah, I, I am. indeed a burger guy. I love Trust burgers. me, I am right there with you. And so – I think this is an important topic to talk about because it's probably contentious for some people. And uh, I will say Gordon has always told me that I need to mix like sirloin, ground sirloin, ground chuck, and ground beef into my burger, and I've never done it. So Because some of those meats aren't as available. Dude, that's one thing I miss about the Midwest is you go yeah. to like, any local grocery store in the Midwest, and they have like 4,000 kinds of beef. And it's not a thing here. So, I mean, you got Dickman's. Dickman's was, is okay. It's not too bad, but they don't they still don't have everything. Um. So let's start with the bun. What kind of bun would you pick for your perfect burger? I would pick a, there is, and I, I just actually had this on a sandwich yesterday, but it is a very, it's a soft and it's like an onion bun. Oh, yep. I, that's the best way I can describe it. But it has like, yeah. the, instead of like having a, like the poppy seeds or whatever the fuck, it's yep. like onion, onion buns, delicious. So good, especially when they're fresh and soft. They are very good, but my choice for my bun, it's apparently a very contentious thing in the burger community. I'm a pretzel bun guy. I love me a pretzel bun. I don't care for pretzel buns that much just because I think that more often than not, they come out very dry. And I think if they're not, like I think if they're a soft bun, I think pretzel buns can still be good because you get all that salt flavor in it as well. But I think more often than not, you're going to get one that's a little too dense and too dry. I luckily haven't run into too many bad pretzel buns in my life, but that is where I start. Um, next up, would you put any sauces on your favorite burger, on your preferred burger? Yes, 100% I would. So I am a ketchup mustard mayo guy. I, You're a trio guy. I didn't used to do the trio, but then somebody introduced me to like just mayo on a burger at one point in time, and I avoid it now sometimes just because mayo is fucking terrible. Uh, for you health wise uh, but also burgers probably aren't that good for you either and I eat a lot of fucking burgers but I think the mayo adds a pretty unique flavor to the burger and I acquired the taste for all different kinds of mustard really more recently like I really do like mustard now so I put mustard and ketchup is just a classic so I do all three three sauce guy I respect it Um, not a mayo guy definitely not a mustard guy I do put ketchup on my burgers, but I've recently been on a spicy ketchup kick, which is, I guess you can buy spicy ketchup, but I make it myself. You can buy it. That's true. Where I just mix ketchup and Valentina's hot sauce, and it mm. is delicious. I, right now, would put that on my burger. Not a not a ton of it, but enough. That's fair. 
Um, next set of toppings. Would you put any vegetables on? Or no, let's go to cheese first. What kind of cheese would you Pepper put on Jack, your preferred? Hands down, easy. All Too right, easy. that was easy. Um, I'm a very basic American cheese guy. Uh, I know it's not really cheese, but something about the saltiness of fake waxy whey protein goodness on a cheeseburger just hits different. Dude, pepper jack. You can't beat pepper jack. Because even people that don't like spice, it is a flavorful cheese that has just yeah. a little bit of heat to it, and it's got that makes it have a little bit more flavor. I love pepper jack. Yeah, pepper I mean pepper jack's very good, don't get me wrong. If I but if I were to pick something that's like like pepper jack's probably like fifth on my list of cheeses that I would get oh, on a burger. That's sad. I would do American, I would do cheddar, I would do gouda. I love me some gouda. Gouda's pretty good. Um and then I really like uh what's it called? Now I'm blanking on it. Uh, like Colby Jack. I don't really go for the classics that often in terms of like your cheddar and American. I more often than not would go to a, a Colby Jack or a Pepper Jack. Yeah. Colby Jack's really good. I think Colby Jack's probably a very underrated cheese for a lot of people. Um, all right. Let's, next, let's move on to veggies. Are you throwing any veggies on your burger? So I think the classic lettuce is always a go for me. I like lettuce on burgers. I know you're a little bit of a picky eater in general, more so than I am. But I think lettuce is a, a classic, and I like lettuce on burgers. But I will say the must-have now, and I can, again, shout-out to Gordon Ramsay. I'm going to have to DM him on Twitter for the Instagram account and tell him we're, we're sponsored by Gordon Ramsay now. But grilled onions. So if you take a good, solid onion slice, a little olive oil, salt and pepper and throw it straight onto the grill and let it just fucking char up grilled onions add a ton of flavor to a burger yeah. and they are so good love grilled onion i love the, the taste of onion i don't know if i'll ever get past the texture thing but we'll Texture's see it's tough for me too but i've come around to onions in my more re- adult life i just put onion powder in the as part of the seasoning that i use yeah. so i still get the flavor of it but i don't have to deal with it but the onion bud also could potentially be kind of a way around that because you don't get like a lot of the texturiness yeah. with the onion buns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the only, I guess, vegetable you would call that I would put on my perfect burger would be avocado. I love mm-hmm. me avocado. And avocado a fruit or a vegetable? It's technically a fruit, but hmm. it's the closest thing to a vegetable that I'm putting on the burger. So, hmm. Okay. Fair enough. All right. What else? What else kind of tops off your perfect burger? Do you put bacon? Do you put anything else on it? Must have bacon yes agreed must have bacon and i will say that the um an interesting thing as well here for you who's a texture person and i think a great alternative to the grilled onion is onion ring okay you yeah an onion ring on there and you get the crunch instead of the mush like that In, people can't really tolerate onion rings i'm not a huge fan of but onion strings like the super thin yeah, crispy onion strings those i too. those yeah. are good i i yep. can do those on a burger those are then good. you get kind of like the grilled <clears throat> onion flavor but you change yeah. the texture and it helps out some people that have texture problems too so definitely good. definitely uh my uncle kyle mentioned a, a colby jack mozzarella mix for the burger i think That's that would slap too. that would i'd probably rather do a colby good. pepper jack mix myself personally but i could eat a fucking brick of pepper jack if we're being I, honest clearly clearly I you love could pepper jack cheese um so for me, bacon is a must-have 100%. But the other thing that if I'm eating my perfect burger... Here's my perfect burger. <laughs> I love that you <laughs> drew it out. For me, the other thing that's on my perfect burger is a fried egg. Something about a fried egg on a burger yeah. just hits so different that I can't even... I can't imagine a perfect burger without that on it. My problem is, and I know everybody loves that, but I, along the same note as like texture, is I don't like yolk. 
we talked about this when I was down there. Egg yolk grosses me the fuck out. I love egg yolk. So if somebody puts egg yolk running down my burger, it makes me want to throw up. So I think if you do like a thoroughly fried egg, like you fried. Yeah, you could do like an over hard, like an over hard egg. There is a, there's probably a good chance that I would like that, but I just, I don't know. I dodged the whole egg on burger thing. It's not really been a thing that I've ever gone for. Nothing wrong with that. But yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm a very basic burger guy. I don't think you need a whole lot to make a good burger. Go to burger joint. Probably Shake Shack. We probably I think we've already talked about this at yeah. one time. Shake Shack. Five guys, for me. Five guys is right there. I think Shake Shack I get more for what I spend than I do at Five Guys because if I, I eat so Shake plain. Shack, maybe I would. Because I eat so, Shake Shack's also not, I definitely go to Five Guys more than I go to Shake Shack just because the only Shake Shack by me is in Chicago and I don't want to go into the city for a burger. If I'm going into the city, I'm going to eat something much better than just a a basic cheeseburger. Like there's places in the city with like Kobe beef burgers, like I'm going to pick that. Um, But Shake Shack's burgers, I've had a better experience every single time. Actually, I don't think it's everywhere. Um, It's not. uh, No, no, I'm not not talking about Shake Shack. Ah, I got Shake Shack also is not everywhere though. It's very regional. Correct. Um, there's this place in North Carolina. It's a North Carolina thing, apparently. Um, I don't know if it's anywhere else. It looks like there's a couple locations in maybe New York, but it's called American Burger Company. Hands down, the best like fast burger that I've ever had. Huh. Jess and I went to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I shit you not, in the seven days that we were there, we ate this place six times. It was so good just for being like a fast, like we never waited more than 10 minutes for our food and it was, it was still made fresh every single time. And it was so good. Yeah. So good. Ground elk or wild boar for the base. I've done, I've had elk burgers. I've never had boar. I've never even just eaten bo- like wild boar. I've never had that, but I'm I, intrigued. I blame my grandfather for this rest in peace. But one time he told me that the hamburger that he was feeding me when I was a kid was turtle meat. And I freaked out as a little kid, and I think that's hey, deterred me from wanting to have weird meats in my life. So I've, I've had, literally only really ever fucked around with like beef. <laughs> turtle's good. I've had turtle soup before, and it's real good. I don't. He like pointed out some like texture on the meat too, and he's like, "You see that? That's like because it's a turtle." And I was like, "Don't fucking tell me that." Like, shut up, Grandpa. Cried. I was like four years old. You probably did. You probably, probably did. did. I probably didn't want to eat it after that. But yeah, he told me I was eating a turtle burger. But yeah, shout out to Tony again um, at It's Just Fantasy on Twitter. He was the one who suggested that topic. So thank you, Tony. We appreciate it. Thanks, Tony. All right, Kyle, what do you got for topic number two for you? All right, I am moving completely out of the the realm of what we've been talking about. We'd love to see it. Because of the way way that it is, uh, (laughs) because COVID has obviously changed everything. So, And I will say this as a transition into this topic, Pfizer is 100% approved. Uh, by the FDA. So anybody that was waiting on FDA pr- a approval and that was your like mental blockage, go get uh, Pfizer vaccine now that it's uh, uh, available and approved. But on another note, it's changing the way that everybody is living currently, but also the implications on the future are unpredictable. But I think you're, we're starting to see the writing on the wall of some of the impacts that this might have. And so I will ask you, what do you think about now uh, people's unwillingness to go back to work at the office people have gotten the taste of working from home what do you think are the benefits of that what do you think is the drawbacks of it what do you how do you think it impacts the company versus the person and uh you know kind of where do you think we're gonna end up going with this i think 
COVID has kind of shown that a lot more jobs can be completed just fine from home. I do agree that there are some careers, mine included, where there is an aspect of needing to be in an office environment and needing to be front-facing with certain people that is important and must be considered. That being said, how do I see it going? I do think we're going to see a lot more organizations transition to at least a hybrid environment, if not a completely work-from-home environment. And I think a lot of that is going to come from the fact of companies are just going to generally be unwilling to try and find a different way to recoup the loss that they have now on these office buildings that they've spent X amount of millions of dollars building and buying in. A lot of them, yes, but like, like there are some companies that invest an insane amount of money to make their office environment just something different. And I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna tell a lot about the the companies because too many companies I think use their office setting as like a recruiting tool for employer like employees. Yeah, that's Um, the atmosphere of the work environment for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of organizations have kind of ridden on the coattails of, hey, you can come work in this really cool office where we have beer on tap and you can play ping pong on your breaks. Like, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of a lot of organizations that have kind of run off of that. So it's going to be interesting to see how those companies kind of come back from it. But I think, it, I think COVID's shown that a lot of jobs, people don't need to be in the office for a lot of shit. Like, sales one jobs. Of my, one of my favorite quotes of all time is, you know, like, that, sh- that could have been an email. That meeting could have been an email. Yes. And I think COVID has really ironed out the, 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 the true nature of that statement. And there are so many things that could have been an email. Oh, yeah. It could have been a 30-second conversation as opposed to a 30-minute meeting. You know, like there's, like there's so much inefficiency in the office a lot of the times when it comes to things like that. And unnecessary things that you do just for the sake of doing them because you are present amongst each other. There's a joke at where I work that a lot of the times they have meetings just to plan other meetings. Oh, yeah, that happens all the time. Do we? I, all the time. So often does that happen when I work. I'm lucky in that I'm not at the level in the organization that I have to be in, in meetings like that. But also with my job, my job is very front-facing to, to families. And my role, to, a, to an extent, has to be in person sometimes. There's a very legitimate argument that like face-to-face meetings for my career, my career field and, and the role that I'm in it, it just has to happen. There's there's yeah. just a level that has to be there. But I don't – and my organization has done a good job of kind of being willing to be like, if you have nothing on your calendar and three of your co- of your five people that are on your team have to be in the office anyway, work from home. Like if you don't have to be here, we're not going to force you to. But I don't know. I I feel that more and more organizations are going to have to offer – remote employment. And I think that's going to be good for a lot of organizations because it's going to open up their employee pool. Cause there's going to be a lot, yeah, there's absolutely. a lot of really good employees who just don't have the means or based off of situations that are going on in their personal lives, they can't relocate. And I think you're going to alleviate a lot of that issue by being able to be, you know, a more remote environment, but yeah. also it's going to it's going to be very organizationally dependent cuz we've I've done a lot of research on this for my organization and I found that a lot there's some indir- industries that have have thrived from work from home and their work from home has caused their 
their sales to increase and their profitability has gone up by a substantial point and they're now willing to you know remove the office environment and that's going to save them a lot of money moving forward and there are some industries that have struggled from this and it's it's ultimately i think it's going to be very industry dependent but i think it's it's showing that a lot more can be done from you know an at-home environment yeah and i totally <clears throat> i totally get everything you're saying i think there's some some interesting things that i thought of as you were speaking to and i can kind of burn through my list too but like the biggest thing for me personally is I know for a fact, and this isn't to say that I don't get distracted and have days when I'm not very productive at work because I think everybody has those days. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, especially when you don't work in a situation where you're like, I think people that are on like a factory line have probably relatively cr- consistent productivity. But like, as a, like if you're not in that type of a work where it's, you know, kind of like I'm doing this one thing all day long, then everybody has those moments when you're less productive. That being said, I think I would have challenges personally if I worked from home full time where like I'd be sitting in doing a thing or whatever, you know, or, like my calendar wouldn't be very busy that day and I'm getting paid salary and I might end up spending half of my eight hour, eight and a half hour work day, like playing video games. Cause like one of you guys would message me and be like, Hey bro, what are you doing right now? You want to play some games? And I'm like, Oh yeah, I don't have a meeting for like two hours. Like I don't, I don't need to do anything right now. And I'd like hop on the game. But he- here's my, my, my counter argument kind of to that though. Why is that a bad thing if you don't have worked like if you legitimately have nothing else to do, why should you not be able to do that? See, I think and I think that's an interesting point, right? I mean that's where I get into the the sour like kind of like the salary versus hourly wage conversation is what I think people are I think what what we're seeing a little bit in, in terms of this relationship now is you're seeing that people can be much 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 more efficient about the things that they do on a a daily, weekly, monthly basis. But because of the fact that they're pay- being paid hourly or maybe even salary and stuck to like the nine to five or what have you, they kind of drag out and become less efficient inherently so that they have things to do. Yeah. Like you take longer on a project just because you, you're getting paid to be there, right? So you, must, you might as well have something to work on. When I worked at Target, I shit you not that I made things take as long as they could because I learned very early on when I started working there, I would do... I would help all the cost, all the guests that I could. But when I had my restock or like my new stuff to put out on the floor that came from the shipment that day, I would try and finish that as quickly as I could. And I'd be done in 30 minutes and I would have nothing to do for two and a half hours. Yeah. And I'm just like then just walking the aisles aimlessly being like, can I help you find anything? Yeah. You need help finding the cheese? It's an aisle two. Yeah, like, I feel you. I think the interesting thing, though, is like for me, right, like and I think people have figured that out working from home, right, because a lot of the people that are doing this as a temporary thing, getting paid like their traditional salary or, you know, their eight hour a day pay are finding like, hey, man, I have a week to do this project, but I could finish it in a day. And so they like fucking kill the whole thing in a day at home and then they can spend four days (laughs) during the course of that week just getting off and do whatever they want at home. And I think part of it, right, is like part of the reason where you don't see that in the work environment so much is just because there's eyes on supervision where people are staying busier longer, but not because they're being more productive, but because they feel like somebody's watching them and they need to be more, not even more productive, but they need to be consistently busy, right? So a lot of the busy things that people are probably doing might be useless. So I think you might see an increase in efficiency as a company, but the problem is, is how do they now as a company decide how they're going to compensate for that? Because if you're going to have me clock in, like, during the active hours that I'm working, right, like, I could finish a project in maybe two hours when I said if I was in the office, it would take me 10, right? Like, 
how do you deal with the compensation factor? Because you might, if you're still going to be doing it on like an hourly basis and I'm not getting paid salary, then I'm still going to take just as long at home to do it. You know what I yeah, mean? I, I think you have to, if you're going to work from home, you almost have to be on a salary salary basis in that extent, unless you're a role where like, I know a couple of people whose work from home roles are very like, very much just, you need to work 40 hours a week. We do not care what hours those 40 are because we yeah, are a 24 seven, we are a 24 seven company and you have to be working around the clock anyways. So as long as you're getting your work done, we don't care. And I think if, if you're on salary, people are, they're not paying you to work a 40 hour work week. They're paying you to do the tasks that you are assigned when you are assigned to do them. Yeah. And your salary is just kind of a, here you go. This is your compensation for that. So I think, the expectation I think, at my job is very different, though. Like the expectation is that if you're at work, then you are busy. You are yeah. doing something. No, agree. You don't have anything. You don't have a specific deadline to meet. Then you need to find something else, right? Like you need to. There was a day when like the power was out where I work, and they're like, "All right, grab a grab a fucking broom and a mop. Like do something that doesn't require like a computer. Like start cleaning or something. You know, like there's the expectation is that you're going to be busy. Like they're going to get their forty hours worth of work out of you." again not to say that that's an everyday thing like so there's not somebody over my shoulder harassing me every day to like pick up a fucking mop if i'm not actively working on something but that being said like the expectation is that you're being productive for 40 hours a week so and i i do knowing your career i do think that's very different than a lot of careers like i don't know my industry it's almost accepted that there's going to be downtime at points um i think ultimately like it, it's it's that's going to be very industry dependent, but I think if you're paying a salary, like it shouldn't matter when that work's done. I don't, I, again, I don't totally disagree with you. I think employers are going to have to adjust to the process of deadlines and, and workloads though. Right. Cause I think if, if, if I start to say like, Hey, what used to take me five days is not taking me two cause I'm being more productive at home. They're going to have to figure out like now, what am I giving people as a deadline and am I imposing the same thing on people that are working in the offices at home? Like, I think this, it, this increases the complications and I'm not trying to make excuses for companies cause I think they can do this and I think they should do this. And I think there is a lot of benefits. It's tough for me in my career. There's no way I could work from home full time given what I, I just couldn't, I right. couldn't do it. It's not possible, but there are, and we were, we, we had talked about this for a little bit at my work at one point in time of doing like uh, you get like a one uh, telework day a week where you'd work from home on a day of the week of your choosing and that way you could focus on like because i work essentially an eight and a half nine hour day and it's difficult to get things done during during the work week if i need to like on like normal business hours for other places they're like hey you can telework this week and the expectation is like all those things that you're trying to get done you do them on that day so like if you have like a haircut or something like you need to get done you're doing it on that day you're not trying to do that in the middle of like a work week right on one of your other days or something you know so like there was some talks of flexibility there and we've kind of deviated back away from that, but there are, there are options there. I think in giving people that freedom that would help. And at the end of the day, for me, I think the, the biggest factor, right? Is that people, I think more and more as time goes on, job satisfaction is a critical point for companies and employees. Like you have to be able to meet the standard of job satisfaction that people want, or they're not going to take the job. Oh, a thousand percent. People are more, potential employees are taking power into their own hands and trying to establish, especially if you're not hurting for money, right? Like you have the time to interview at multiple places, figure out where am I going to have the highest job satisfaction? And if a company's offering you a hybrid option or, Hey, you can come in the office if you want, or you can work from home, like come into the office if you need to, but otherwise you're free to work from home. People that like that flexibility are going to take that job over the job that says you must be in the office nine to five every week. 
You know what I mean? So like there's an inherent increase in job satisfaction if you offer people flexibility in their schedules, I think. Yeah. Um, so there was some, I'm trying to see if I can find it. Um, it was on LinkedIn. Um, just, I was scrolling through LinkedIn as, as I was updating my profile and like looking at stuff that's going on out there. And there was a post that was like, would you rather have a $120,000 salary or a $90,000 salary with uh, 401k benefits, uh, work from home option, X amount of vacation, like all these extra benefits from it. And it was like 80% of people chose that option. Like I think giving employer employees that level of flexibility, not only does that motivate the employee to really enjoy their job a little bit more because of the extra freedoms and extra, you know, abilities that come with that job, people aren't chasing a salary as much as they used to be, I think. I think a lot less people are a lot more people are going into passions than they were in the past where they were people were to becoming an accountant because it was a job that was always going to be needed and they were always going to have a salary. I think nowadays yeah, people are a lot more willing to kind of pursue their dreams a little bit. And I think if you can be an organization that offers the ability to work in a, in a field that somebody has passion about and give them a bunch of flexibility and a bunch of benefits that they otherwise wouldn't have, I think organizations are going to have a lot more success following that model. Dude, even if you like, but even like, right, if you give the people like your employees a concept of flexibility even if they never utilize it there's something to be said about the job satisfaction that you have just knowing that you have you could execute off of oh that, yeah right? like knowing like hey i am a kind of guy that <coughs> needs to be in the office five days a week otherwise i'm not going to get my shit done but then something pops up and you know that you have the flexibility in the back of your mind like hey something comes up like emergency whatever i can telework from my phone or my laptop or tablet or whatever the fuck you know and then still take care of my personal shit like there is a job satisfaction just in having that sense of of flexibility in your schedule and so i think the big thing right is and what i'm driving at here is that i think businesses now are going to adapt or die here where you're going to see a mass exodus of people leaving these corporations that are stringent and don't allow some type of flexibility for their employees and they're just going to leave and you know you can't you can't just live off the hey you signed up for this nine to five job like you're going to do this nine to five work anymore like you can't just do that and employers are no longer in necessarily the same position of power that they used to be where they could say like i know that you need this job and more than i need you so like you don't like it leave it's like no they like you you as the employer need to be attractive to the employee and you need to bring people in and recruit people so i think we are going to see a transition more towards higher flexibility in in employers and I think for the people that are that refuse to do that, they are going to suffer. And I think they're going to see probably companies that refuse to adapt just close. Yeah, I 1000% agree. I think especially as we see, you know, more and more companies being vocal about the offerings that they do have in terms of flexibility. Like um, I've talked about them on here before, and I've talked about this exact same situation, I think, a little bit before. Um, Dan Price, who's the CEO of a company called Gravity Payments out of Seattle, um, he's famous for, he took like a million dollar salary cut so that the minimum wage of his employees could be $70,000 a year. Um, their company, when coming back from COVID, when COVID was starting to go on a little bit of a downswing, they asked, do you want to work from home? Do you want to hybrid? Do you want to work in the office? And then they just told people to, whichever of those options is going to be the best for you, follow that route. 
And I think I've seen other employers, like I've talked to people who work in different corporate, like different companies and with different corporations where their companies are starting to be more willing to be flexible. And we're seeing a lot of people who are gravitating towards that. Like they, like this is a relatively small company, um, all things considered, you know, in, in comparisons to a lot of the companies yeah. that are out there, this gravity payments, but they're getting thousands of applications every time they post a job like from all around the country because they can you can work remote like you're just I think companies who offer flexibility are going to open up the the employee pool so much more and they're going to find themselves to be in a lot better position in the next 5 to 10 years than companies who say nope we're never changing this is what we're doing and here you go yeah i agree with you man i just i, I think truly we are at a place in time where you can no longer be the the nine to five of the past like nobody is going to accept that as a is a job that they want or they find attractive anymore and so they're going to seek out and like you said and i do agree with you on this i don't i don't think people are necessarily going to take massive pay cuts but i think people might consider like taking a dollar less an hour or, or you know maybe 10 grand less a year potentially depending on kind of like where that price point is of in order to find a job that they like more and I think that, that that's tougher at the lower salary jobs. Like, right, like I wouldn't take a cut from like 30,000 to 20,000 probably, but maybe yeah. I would take a cut from 110 to 100. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that margin is different depending on what you're making. And I think if you could, depending on your ability to survive and like your flexibility at, at a certain price point, you would probably take a higher standard of living uh, than, you know, go do something that has absolutely zero flexibility for more money. Yeah. it's Everybody has a price. Yeah, but I'm just, definitely. I, I think we're going to see a shift in the way that employers are marketing to the, to the potential candidates. For sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that kind of, I think that wraps it up perfectly. Like it's, it's, it's going to be, you know, COVID's changed a lot of things and I think the business world is really going to have to adapt to it. Yeah, absolutely. Dude. I completely agree. But I've got nothing else to say on that either. I was just curious where you sit on it now. And I've been seeing a lot of things in the news too about, you know, and, um, my wife is uh, job searching right now too and looking for some of that job satisfaction as well. So I think it's, it's been interesting to kind of see what people are offering to her. And I was curious what you thought of the way that we're going, but that's all I've got. What do you got for your second and our final topic today? Well, we can kind of roll that. I, this wasn't going to be my second topic. Sorry uh, for all my dogs barking in the background. No control over that. Jess just got home. This is um, why Carly would say dogs over cats, or cats over dogs, by the way. Yeah, I, you said you heard it here first, folks. Carly says dogs over cats. Anyways, <laughs> um, I'm actively looking. Not, I won't say actively. I'm not desperate to find a new job, but I am at a point where I do feel like I have to move on um, from my current role into something more. Um, and I just kind of wanted to talk about that experience a little bit. Maybe not necessarily, it's not, it, it doesn't have to be a huge conversation. Um, but this is what, like your topic really kind of brings to light a lot of the things that I'm noticing with the job search that I'm currently going through, um, where I'm not really looking, but there's been a few job offerings that have really kind of shown me something and have offered something that make a job more appealing to me than it otherwise would have been. Like I'm now considering career paths that I otherwise wouldn't have considered simply because they do offer remote work options. They do yeah. offer a lot of flexibility and it's, I don't know. I kind of want to 
like if you were to be changing careers right now, like what are some of the things that you'd really be looking for? Would it be a work from home option? Would it be like a salary number? Would it be not necessarily flexibility, but would it be in just something that you could, would you take a pay cut to do, to be doing something that you'd enjoy more? Or would you rather, would you be okay doing a job that you don't like as much because it offers yeah. you a higher salary and flexibility? Like It's funny that you bring this topic up too, because I was thinking about adding in a topic either here or at some other point in time about kind of like what your ideal career path looks like. Cause I, I'm and I, similar to you right now. I'm at a, I'm at a kind of decision point in my life where I'm not that I need to make decisions for the rest of my life. Right. But I am at a, a point in, in my current career where I need to make decisions and I need to kind of figure out how to pave the way for my future. And I've never been really a person that had a life plan. So I'm also, despite the fact that I'm not actively looking for a job, I also have been considering some of these things in my head of like, okay, if I decide to make a switch, what is that going to look like for me? Because again, like crunch points are coming for me just in my current, where I currently am, that I'm going to have to make some sort of decisions. Right. So and I need to start paving the way. And, and just really quick too, I want to tangent off a little bit, just back to what you were saying. Cause Carly, I can't quote this directly, but uh, she was asking questions in her, in an interview. Right. And she's like, Hey, like you told me this, like talk to me more about this, blah, 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 like kind of interactive, like trying to get the best picture of what this job might be like. And the employer came back and said something to the effect of like, Oh wow. Like these are some of the greatest questions we've ever heard. You know, like usually we, uh, people just want the job. Like we yeah. offer them a job and they just like are happy to have a job, but we're moving away from that. I think truly in, in terms of uh, the way that employment is going to look moving forward, where people are no longer going to be willing to just take the job because you offer oh, yeah. it to them. Like people are going to say like, Hey, thanks for the offer. I'm going to go interview with 15 other companies and then I'll make a decision. Yeah. And, and, but more specifically to me, right? Like my, my case specifically, and to answer your question very directly is I will not I will not go away from what I'm doing currently if I don't know with relative certainty that I'm going to be happier. Because for me right now, job satisfaction is the number one thing that's going to drive me to a different career. And right. if I think that, which is part of the reason I'm in school right now, there's no doubt about that. I'm in school right now to open some doors to things that I think that I will be more passionate about than what I'm currently doing. And I think that if I can find something where I am truly passionate about it and I think that my job satisfaction is going to be high, I would take a pay cut to go do it hundred percent and it's not that i am miserable right now or like that i couldn't continue to do what i'm doing right now but i just i think that i've i'm getting to a point in my like maturity as i'm getting older that i'm recognizing the fact that i am going to be working for probably another 30 years and if i'm going to do that i'm not going to be miserable while i'm doing it i have to be doing something where i'm happy otherwise i just i'm and i also want to be in a position where i can leave like i can say so there, there is some sort of a financial balance there too, where I need to be able to cons- maintain a, a standard of living that I've established. I don't live a, a luxurious life, but I'm happy with the standard of living that I have. But also I need to be able to save just for the contingency plan of saying like, hey, I'm not happy here. I want to be able to walk away right now and go job search. You know what I mean? So those are those are huge considerations for me. Yeah, I, I'm definitely in a lot of the same boats as you, where I'm currently in a role that does make me very happy. Um, and I'm kind of at the point where it's like, because I do want my family to be more comfortable in our situation, I want to be able to buy a house, I want to feel more financially, not that I'm financially unstable, but I don't make a lot of money. 
comparatively. Um, to a lot of people my age, a lot of people that I went to school with who have the same degrees that I have, like I just don't make as much. And that's part, partially the, the, the current job market that I live in um, with the current You've role. You've also taken a sacrifice to get a very cheap or free education at the cost yeah. of necessarily a salary. So there's a balance for you too that you can Definitely. be happy with. But like you said, you're, you're also reaching a point probably where you're like, I've got the education that I want. What do I do next? Exactly. Yeah, I feel that for sure. And part of it for me too is like, I have a degree that I'm very happy to have, but I have other passions that my brain keeps coming back to for some reason. Sure. Like, I can't get the idea of it being a teacher out of my head, and I don't know why. That's fair. And when I was younger, I never wanted to be a teacher. I thought I'd be a good teacher, but I never wanted to do it. And as I get older, there's something about it that keeps, like, my brain keeps coming back to. And I'm almost like, do I continue to make no money to get another degree cheaply to have to then take no job for like six months to do my student teaching and then get a teaching job. Like, do I do that? Or do I take five years right now where I go back to the sales industry? I just put my ax to the grindstone for five years, make 500,000 to a million dollars. <laughs> hello, hello kitty. Um, do I, do I do that where I go make half a million, a million plus maybe depending on the, on the career path that I get down and how good I do to then be able to go back to school later to be a teacher later and have some sense of financial stability behind it? It's like there, I think my brain is very stuck on the financial side of things. And part of that is the way that my dad kind of taught me to be because he was always very financially concerned about everything and wanting to sure. be financially stable. And my wife comes from a different background from that where she's very much like, fuck it. Like if I could chase a passion right now, she 1000% would. And even if that meant that she had to go back to serving and bartending to make money, to get her through the training that she needs to chase that passion or whatever, you know, whatever that yeah, looks yeah, like, sure. she's a lot more willing to do that than I am. And I think a lot of that to me stems back from that kind of flexibility comfortability conversation where it's like I have a hard time doing something that I don't love doing yeah but I could force myself to do that for five to ten years to make a lot of money to be able to then comfortably do whatever I want so it's like it's a very weird dynamic that I'm kind of stuck between and I've been like kind of stuck on this for like a year now of like just not <clears throat> really knowing what path to go down and, it, and I just like, I like to talk to different people about it just because I get different, I get different opinions and ideas from a lot of different people. And I don't know, it's just a really weird situation to be in where it's like, I want a new job, but I don't really need a new job. And I don't really care if I get a new job, but I kind of also really want something more. I don't know. It's like a really weird place. Is I think, and honestly, I think I would hate it if I ended up doing something like this, but I think there is, and I, I go back to this and I use this as a, um, kind of like my talking point when, when I talk about this sometimes with some of my coworkers, but I saw a job offer one time or a job opening at NZXT in California, putting computers together. That's all you did. You, yeah. you, you all you did 24, not 24 hours a day, but you know, like your, for your 40 hour work week was you build computers. And there was something that was very appealing about that to me. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is it's mindless work. 
and it's not well not necessarily you know it's relatively benign you know there's nothing that takes a ton of critical thinking in order to do that um which my job now does it takes a lot more critical thought and uh you know analysis in order to do the things that i do now but there is something that seems appealing about some mindless work sometimes that i it, it makes me wonder if i would be happy in that role and I, honestly i think the the true answer is no i think that if i did something very mindless and repetitive forever that i would obviously burn out and i would hate it but i think there is still like something to be said about the fact that that does appeal to me in some way and it does make me it makes me want to go towards the computer industry as a whole knowing how much i enjoy certain aspects of it and i don't know what that role is going to look like still but i think i think i have ideas now and i'm trying to open those options a little bit with school but well, and at least with something like that, too, like that's a foot in the door, like just being yeah. working for NZXT at that level. Like once you have, you know, a computer science degree like that opens so many other doors for you down the road. And I think there's like there is there's definitely a benefit to that. Like I don't love my current role in the sense that I wish I could be doing more with the population of people that I work with. Sure. But just having the experience in my role, I think opens up a lot of doors to me later on. So it, it's one of those weird dynamics where it's like, you kind of almost have to take the sacrifice up front, which is where my brain is kind of leaning towards. Like I'd almost, I'm willing to kind of sacrifice what I do now because I think my long-term happiness will be better if I continue on the path that I'm on. Sure. But my brain still says, Jake, just go make a, go make a millie. Just get it's out of weird. here. It's it's really weird to have like a a young midlife crisis, right? Like it's I, a it's not like a life crisis, but in just, a way it is. Jess says a, it all the time that I'm in my quarter life crisis because I started growing out my hair. I'm talking about like all this job stuff. It, I mean, truly though, you're at, you you come to a career decision point, right? Because if you think about it purely from a perspective of like how we've gotten to where we where we are now, right? You you're expected out of high school to have some concept of an idea of what you want to do, and that's how you drive your career or your decisions to go to college and everything like that but you're most people are too young to have any sort of actual concept of what they want to do for the rest of their life that early like there's you just haven't really had the experience or the exposure to make a, a critical assessment of what you want to do with your entire life for the next 40 years or whatever you know what i mean so it's right and, and in that sense then you know college helps to mature you a little bit and then maybe you go to your master's degree and that helps you a little bit more or maybe you go to a career for a little while and that helps you too but there is a path that leads to about the point where we are. And I'm a couple of years older than you, but even for me, right? Like I've reached a point where the amount of experience that I've had, whether it be career or school or otherwise leading up to this point has given me enough background now that I think that I'm getting closer to having the knowledge that I need and the exposure that I need to make some decisions. But also I'm feeling the pressure a little bit to, to make some of those decisions that I didn't really feel when I was younger. Like you feel the, the, the pressure of, Oh, I got to pick my major for college, right? Like people, or do I want to go to college? Right? Like those two different pressures like happen, but I didn't feel it as much then as I do now. Cause now like as a fully independent married, you know, guy, like I, I am having to make decisions that are going to affect more things than just like my young stupid self when I was like 20 years old. Right? Like there, there's more weight to some of those. decisions. Right. So. Yeah. And there's a lot more that goes into that, but I think we are at the age point and the experience point where those decisions are happening soon. And so yeah. th this is an important conversation to have, I, I think, with more than one person, right? Like, to try to get some of that perspective. And I've had some some conversations with people I work recently to try to kind of 
gauge what I'm going to do too. And a lot of them too, they're like, Hey man, like reach outside of this career field and talk to other people and like talk to friends, talk to family and like help have them help you make some of those decisions too. And it is important. Like people have to reach out and get perspective because even if you feel like you know everything about what you're about to go do, like some perspective from a different place might help make those decisions as well or as well or you know solidify it or change your opinion too so it's hard to say man yeah we're at a place it's coming it is yeah no it's I'm feeling it recently trust me well and trust me you're in a i think you're in a better place i think than i am um just because your career has offered you a little bit more stability than mine has True. in a sense yeah. i have a lot um, of stability right now there's no doubt about that and that's phenomenal and it, it, it's it's great to have that but i do think that almost makes the decisions a little bit harder in a sense it does because it's like do i leave stability for potential Passion. yeah absolutely yeah. it's it's i'll bring it back to fantasy football do i want a guy who could potentially get me 50 points but maybe gets me 6 or 7 or do i want the <laughs> do i want the consistent 15 yeah 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 dude i'm with you also, maybe if I could just be a two average husbands talk person for the rest of my life and make money off of this, that'd be dope too. So uh, yeah, share the podcast. Uh, <laughs> find us some, if your uh, if your company wants to uh, sponsor the uh, podcast, let us know. Uh, get at us, Michelob. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Anyways, we didn't try to shout out Michelob or Jake did. So hey, keep an eye We're out on number one. We need him out here. Keep an eye out on the Twitter. But that's a that's a great way I think to wrap it up. You know, I just wanted to kind of have this conversation, and what better way to do it than for content? Yeah, absolutely, uh, man. So uh, we want to thank you all for, for tuning in this week. Um, we did notice, uh, you know, there was some new interaction in the, tra- the chat. Tony stopped by to remind me that I'm cute. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. Congrats on the wedding again, my guy. Um, thanks Sorry for giving us a topic. Sorry about the Fantasy League. Eh, eh. He, doesn't need, <laughs> he doesn't need any apologies for that one. But we do thank you all for tuning in. Make sure you check out all of our socials, at 2AVGHusbands, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can see follow myself at Jake Perry 34 You can follow Kyle at Kyle and her son, but I will let Kyle close out the rest of this episode. Thank you all for tuning in. Yes, thank you so much for joining us, guys. It's been another good one. Feel free to keep, uh, like Jake already mentioned, you know, following us on the social medias as well as we're on Facebook. You can see us on or listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. And all of our social medias have our link tree uh, in there as well. So you can find everything else that we're on by going to any number of those. Uh, and reaching out to us you can also hit us in the personal dms or whatever if you have topics uh topic ideas or anything you want to hear us um kind of talk about or discuss amongst each other so keep reaching out we'll keep bringing the good beers the good topics and we'll have a good time thanks everybody for joining in for another episode of two average husbands see you next week peace peace